Hey, you guys, welcome back. This is episode three of the BLK Code Switchers podcast. I really appreciate you guys for tuning in for the last two weeks. Uh, sorry about the delay on the episode two. We're going to make sure this one gets out on a pretty good time. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We appreciate everything that you've been doing. So supportive. I love the energy. All right. Um, so, Lachelle, anything you'd like to say? You pretty much covered it. I'll say thank you again. Second that. Well, we're going to go ahead and get into this is episode three. So for this one, everything that's going on in the media right now, um, as a lot of you guys know, prior to my legal career, I was in law enforcement for six years. Through that time, I made a lot of friends. Um, so, you know, me, me and one of my good friends decided that we'd have a little discussion about what's going on with uh Black cops and the mindset of black cops that's going on in today's society. So with no further ado, I'd like to introduce Officer Black. How's it going, Officer Black? All right. How you doing, DeAndre? Oh, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Yes, and I would like to thank your co-host for allowing me on your show. I'm very, very, very appreciative. Uh, first and foremost, I think y'all are doing a tremendous job right now, being able to reach the community and reaching out to people that really need to know what's going on in the world, especially in our local community. So I'm grateful for that. And thank y'all for allowing me to be on today. Uh, thank You're welcome. All right. All right. Thank you for being here and being present. Yes, ma'am. Now, what can I call you, ma'am? Can I, I, I gotta be something I can call. <laughs> Lachelle. It's good. It's good. Okay. It's that works. <laughs> well, you gotta forgive me because I'm going to say ma'am a lot. Okay. Okay, no problem. That's based off of my background and my upbringing through the military and especially being in law enforcement. So, uh, Speaking of your background, uh, Officer Black, go ahead and tell me a little bit about um, what brought you into the field of law enforcement. Well, uh, back in 2007, I joined the military. Uh, out of that time, I was able to t deploy to Iraq for a tour of duty. Uh, within that time, I got to work with a lot of distinguished uh, military personnel as well as politicians, whether it's the White House, uh, Department of Defense, and so forth. Uh, when I came back home from my deployment, I was asked a question, what is it that I want to do? Simple question, what do I want to do? At that time, I didn't really know what to do because I've been so accustomed to wearing a uniform and yeah. being able to, you know, uphold laws and, you know, it, it was just a sense of of, of wanting to belong and to help a cause. So my uncle said, hey, how would you like to become a deputy? And I said, a deputy? Like, what am I going to do? Work in the jail system. So yeah. I started my law, law enforcement career uh, working at a local sheriff's department. Some people may call it a county. We call it a parish here in Louisiana. Um, I started my career working in the jail. I did that for six months. After that, I worked uh, with the road crew where you have offenders. I'm not going to say inmates because inmates is a derogatory term. So I was able to work with offenders uh, on a road crew who actually were able to get back to the community, work in the community, clean the community, basically beautification of the community. Uh, after that, I went to patrol where I got to see firsthand what it was to take calls and to deal with everybody at their worst moments in their life. Yeah. Uh, fast forward. I was blessed with an opportunity to work with you for a second, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, at local departments to help the city, to bring the city up to speed. Because 
at that time, there wasn't that many black officers. So yeah. I was grateful to be a part of that, uh, bringing a lot of black officers back to the community, which, you know, a lot of us come from and, you know, we care about. At which point I left from there and now I'm officially working for a state agency. So congratulations been, on that. Thank, thank you. Thank you. But with this job, we're actually able to help regulate, you know, the sales of alcohol and stuff like that. So I'm able to, once again, mentor kids and get back into the community because alcohol, tobacco, and other products, especially the vape pens, is that's what's hurting our young, our young people these days. And they're not understanding that, you know, that has a big effect on their life later on down the line. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so officer- I did leave one thing out, and I'm sorry to cut you off, sir. But yeah. my biggest pride and joy was working for another local agency as a detective, where I started off as a juvenile detective. And then I started working into homicides before I left to come work for the state. So I definitely got to give them a big props for allowing me to do that and mentor these kids. Gotcha. 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 Um, So one thing I wanted to touch on, and this is something that I didn't get to experience in my law enforcement career, but you for sure got to experience it. And that was, how was it working in a community that you you know, when me and you worked together, we worked in a city that I wasn't from. But when I tell you, we go on calls and everybody knew you, you know, and even sometimes, you know, we ran into some of your family members along the way. So how was that experience? Well, first and foremost, working in any community in, in, in entirety, it, it's stressful. It's uh, it's it's time consuming. It's showing patience. But working in my community that I grew up in was very rewarding because for once yeah. in my life, I had an opportunity to see things from a different angle, to see what it's like being in a position of, you know, control, because being a police officer, you have to maintain the control of your scene at all times, but also yeah. you have to maintain the control of your personal beliefs as well as your feelings. So there's a lot of guys I grew up with that, man, I'm no different. I'm not any better than anybody else. You know, there's many a nights I was out playing basketball or running around or cutting up or watching people fight. And I had to remember where I come from. So working with the community, it's two things they look for. What can you do for me? And how far can I get away with stuff? And you got to see it firsthand, especially with my own family. Like my family, like any other family, we all have our are, are bad apples, but I'm not going to even use the word bad apples. I'm going to keep it realer than that. We all have some messed up individuals in our family and we cannot choose yeah. our family because that's what we're born into. And, you know, yeah. so I had to make those decisions and like D knows, if my family did something wrong, you do what's right. You know what I mean? You hold them to that account, but you treat them with dignity and respect. Yeah. So it's a double-edged sword, man. Yeah, man. I I remember it. You know, your your family was definitely on every end of the spectrum when it comes to, you know, our dealings, man. But, you know, I I am very grateful to have had an officer work with me that, you know, was a part of the community because I see it so many times. And especially nowadays, it's something in, in the media and stuff, you know, we're like, 
where are the black cops? Where are they? They're not the ones right. that are policing our communities, you know? Yeah, but and you're right. As a citizen, how do you feel about people policing your community that have no association with it, you know, or don't look anything like it, the people of your community and have completely different cultures and may not understand, you know, uh, where the people of your community are coming from whenever they talk or act out and stuff like that? Okay, well, I'm happy you brought that up. I got to say this. Everything has to start at home, period, the end. The way you raise kids today or your upbringing in your childhood is going to dictate everything after that. So when we have, let's say, Caucasian officers, right? Because apparently that's what we're dealing with today in our society is the white officers versus the black officers right now. Because that's, that's, what, that's what it's boiling down to. So the white officers come into a community. Now, half of them don't even live in that community. Half of them never even knew that community existed only because they needed a job. That's the only reason why they knew that community existed. So when they come into a community, they're not understanding that, okay, once you cross the tracks, and I got to use that terminology because that's how it was taught to us growing up. When you cross those tracks, you're on the black side of the neighborhood. Okay? So you cross those tracks. When you cross those tracks, you see an apartment complex. But what people refer to it as the projects. Okay? So you you cross the tracks, you get to the apartment complex, and now you have a hundred families living in that apartment complex, right? Yeah. You have a hundred families that have a hundred different traditions, that have a hundred different beliefs, that have a hundred different problems, times ten. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. a white officer would see and, and I'm going to bring up a, 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 a old case, but I can't use names. But there was many a times there was a local guy that he was a crackhead. Okay. He abused drugs. And mind you, crack cocaine was his drug of choice. This man is from the community. He's brought up, raised. He's about in his 60s now. And he smokes crack. He was still every single day that man stole. A white cop would get there, oh, you're a crackhead, you're back smoking crack again, and want to hurry up and arrest them and prove a point. Whereas sometimes I would get there and be like, okay, brother, like, what, do you, what is going on? What's the problem? Okay, do you have the merchandise? Can you return it? And then I would in turn go speak to the victim. And half the time, the victim didn't even want to press charges. They just wanted their items back. And with our white counterparts, they're so quick to, and I'm not going to say all white cops are bad. Let me, let me get that message clear. Not all white cops are bad, but you have those that don't know anything about anything. So they'll be quick to arrest, you know, and D is many a times that I sat back and I had to hold my tongue as a black officer because I wasn't in a position of, of a supervisor. I was just a normal patrolman. And what people don't understand in our community, as a normal patrolman, we cannot make those decisions. You know, we have supervisors that ultimately make a decision for us, you know, and we have to abide by that. So it's rough being a cop in a black community on it's rough because now I got my own counterparts looking at me like, well, brother, you ain't going to do nothing. You're not going to help us, you know. 
Right. And, and it hurts because I want to help so bad. But at the same token, we're not helping ourselves. You know, and it, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. I actually had a question um, for you about that. When you mentioned, you know, being a patrol, um, you, you have to follow the orders of your supervisor. What are those like post-incident um, conversations like when you when you knew like deep down something you didn't necessarily agree with something? Um, do do normally have those conversations and address those like in the car and private back at the station? How does that go? Well, I'm happy you asked that. Uh, for me. Being a black officer, you got to hold your tongue. Because if you speak out, like, if you speak out fast about a situation that's going on, then you're going to be viewed as a radical. Or you're going to be viewed as, oh, you're just taking care of your people. You know what I mean? So the way I would operate was if I didn't agree with something, I wouldn't address the situation right there on the scene in front of the people. Because if I did that, then it would be like undermining supervision. You know what I mean? It would be undermining the right. authority that's above me. So after everything was said and done and the call was cleared, I'll go back and be like, look, I don't agree with this. This is not right. This is wrong. Maybe we could have did it this way. And even when you do that and you voice your opinions, you're still looked at as a radical. Uh, I don't know if DeAndre, if you remember one time, but I spoke up. And when I spoke up, I got pulled into the office. I had to have a meeting for something that I believe oh, was wow. not right. Yeah. And the cool part about it was it was because of a white woman and I had to and I had to speak up because it wasn't right. And I always believed right is right, wrong is wrong. You don't treat people right. one way and then treat another set of people a different way because not only is it about the black race, but it's also about women. And the sexism and all the other things that come along with this job. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's it's. You'll be amazed how many times I've seen cops. Oh, that woman gonna call again. That woman gonna call again. She's stupid for staying there. But we not in her shoes. You know what I mean? And especially for black women, I've seen white officers look at black women as just a material. Just to get to the man to get him out the house, so that way they could talk to them. Mm-hmm. Wow! When you saw an injustice happening, how could you fight it? Well, D, you noticed out of everybody, I always tried to make it a point, especially when a call came out, because I was always put in sector three. A sector three is normally your minority district, or in yeah. most areas, your your low income poverty you know there's, there's a lot that goes in, into that but I was always the first one to hurry up and rush to get to that call because yeah. I figured if I get there first then I might be able to change the outcome or I might be able to simmer some 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 things down before the officers get there that all they want to do is just yell scream point a finger and go about their business because they have no ties to the community yeah. So I used to rush to get there first. I used to be the first one flying across the tracks just to get there to be like, hey, guys, break it up. Let's go. This is stupid. Move along. So by the time they get there, 
They're like, well, man, uh, where where everybody go? Hey, the problem was solved. Because it didn't take yelling and, and screaming. It took, like, a stern voice to say, hey, enough is enough. Right. Yeah. And sometimes that is all it, re- it requires. Yeah, that is true. But then there are also times, and, and I must say this, education is key to everything because a lot of people that I have dealt with have a ninth to eighth grade education. They yes. cannot read. They cannot write. Our own people, whether you want to believe it or not, our education is terrible, especially in the state of Louisiana. I believe we're like ranking the last or second to last in education. <laughs> so, yeah, bro. Yeah. When you have poor education and you don't have a man in the household or your mother is always working and you're being raised by your grandmother who, who who's raised all her kids and had to struggle, what are you really going to get out of it? You're going to wind up being raised by entertainment, by social media. And, and a lot of these young brothers and sisters are being raised by social media. So where if I had to go to them and say, hey, license and registration, please. The first thing that's going to come out their mouth was you just pulling me over because because you're a cop and I'm black. But time out. I'm black. I yeah. look like you. <laughs> but that's the that's what right. I'm, that's what I'm met with. I'm met with. Oh, you pulling me over because because I'm black. And I'm like, well, brother, I'm black, too. Well, uh, well, you just doing it because you're Uncle Tom. Well, whoa, hold on now. Yeah. <laughs> hold on now. You ran the stop sign. I didn't run the yeah. stop sign. And honestly, when I got out the car, I just wanted to educate you because you know what? I believe education is key, especially in law enforcement. You know, you have to educate the people that are around you, and you have to be able to meet them on their level because sometimes. As officers, I, I observed it all the time. People want to talk to people as if they're lower than low, under their shoe. But if you take the time and you speak with people and, and understand a little bit what's going on, because they could have had a bad day. Oh, Lord, my, my, my car broke down. I couldn't pay my insurance. Well, this happened, this happened. Well, guess what? I'm still going to have to write a ticket, but I might be able to help you. Instead of towing your car, Guess what? Do you have somebody that you want to remove your car so that way it don't cost you the extra money to store the vehicle? Like, there's other ways of doing things to help people and not hurt people. You don't have to write a ticket every time you stop somebody. You know? Yeah. But it all is all based off of the driver or the person we're dealing with at that time because sometimes people come out the gate swinging. <laughs> yeah, you know? they do. And they you do. don't even have an opportunity to say, like, look, you ran the stop sign. Please slow down. Is there any reason for that? Let me check your driver's license and go through the list. But if you're not going to give me an opportunity to do that, then you're, you're forcing my hand. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's all about education. We have to educate uh, our, our, our black community how to deal with a cop. And it's sad that it sounds like that, but I've been pulled over by 14 cops. As a civilian, whenever you take your uniform on, off, you're in your regular clothes. You're in a city you don't work. You know, what's your feelings whenever you see or have any interaction with law enforcement? Okay, well, for one, I'm always carrying a firearm because I believe in the Second Amendment. I believe everybody has a right to carry a firearm. I don't care if you're black, white, or purple, or a unicorn. You have a right to carry a firearm to defend yourself, period, the end. So I'm a strong believer in the Second Amendment. Now, 
when this uniform comes off and this badge gets put down and and I'm riding, and you know, it's funny, I'm riding with my firearm and sometimes I have to ask myself, do I feel like bringing my gun with me? Like, that's a, a touchy subject for me because it's like, matter of fact, I was pulled over in a town called Henderson, Louisiana one time. And mm-hmm. uh, they were, I was bringing my little brothers and my cousin to a dance for homecoming. Well, we're, the homecoming dance ended. They said that the party was canceled and everybody had to leave. Well, unbeknownst to me, that they had a big fight there, and that's why they were turning people around. So I leave the party. I'm on my way home. My little cousins and my brothers, they're like, hey, man, that's that sucks. I'm like, hey, it's, it's okay. Things happen for a reason. So I look in my rearview mirror, and I'm like, hmm, that's a cop behind me. Interesting. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm driving. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the lights turn on. And I'm like, well, I'm doing the speed limit. Uh, my signals work. I, I don't know what else I could have possibly did wrong. I pull into a driveway because, you know, you don't want to, and people need to understand this. You have to pull into where it's safe for you and that officer. Okay. You want to pull into a place where it's well lit. Uh, Whether it's a house, it doesn't matter. Pull in somewhere where it's well lit so that way you and the officer are safe. So I pull into the driveway, a random house, a random driveway. The officer gets out the car. He says, hey, get out the vehicle. I'm like, whoa, okay. You know, like, okay. No problem. I said, yes, sir. I step out the vehicle. Now, this is a Caucasian cop. He's like, what are you doing in my town? And I said, <laughs> like, he owns- like, I don't belong. <laughs> like, well, like, I had to say it in French, well, pardon, you know, pardon me. Yeah. So <laughs> I looked at him confused, like, well, I'm traveling home. I just left a homecoming party that they're canceled, and I'm bringing my brothers and cousins back home there's like "Mm, all right well anyway the reason why i stopped you and i said okay what is the reason why you stopped me sir he said the reason why i stopped you is because they said that there was a vehicle with a bunch of people that were left the scene of a fight now mind you i'm sitting here and i'm like okay there's a bunch of kids in here wearing dress shirts and dresses you know like okay no no problem i can understand that so I have a brother who's kind of ignorant, and I'm going to say it. He started saying, man, what the cops got to stop us for? We didn't do nothing wrong, and I had to tell him, be quiet. Yeah. You know, be quiet. The cop never asked me for my ID. He never asked me for insurance. He never asked me for registration. He had the audacity to be dipping or chewing tobacco, and he spit it out at my feet. Now, it took everything I had not to say something, but once again, it's him, three other officers, deputy sheriffs, and a state trooper. And you know what I gathered out of all this? The deputy sheriffs and the state troopers did not get involved into that small town affair. They stood back and they just watched. Yeah. The man had the nerve to tell me, well, guess what? You're no longer welcome here in my town, and don't you ever return to my town ever again. Oh, wow. Again, like he owns owns the town. (laughs) So, unbeknownst to him, my father, you know, I'm I'm not going to speak too much on him, but he's well-connected in in the community. And my father, I told my father what happened. He said, what? So, he made phone calls. 
Well, the man that pulled me over and spit the dip at my feet, you know what his words were? And I quote, well, I did not know that was your son, and I would never have done that if I knew that was your child. Yeah. <laughs> so, so just wow. everybody else. So the moral <laughs> story is right. being a black man in a white man's world, especially in a white man's world that's controlled by a police officer that did not even get the full workup of what took place, he assumed, and then had the audacity to chew tobacco and spit the tobacco at my feet to tell me I'm no longer welcome in this town. And if I knew that was your child, I would have never done that. So my question to him was, what if I told y'all was a cop? What would you have said then? Because I didn't tell him I was an officer. Because if I would have told him an officer, and this has happened too many times. Well, my bad brother. I didn't, I didn't, you should have said you were a cop. (laughs) For what? <laughs> do your job. Right. It should not matter. It doesn't matter. Do your job. But do your job professionally. Yeah. Do it with dignity. Do it with courage. Do it with the utmost respect because at the end of the day, you never know if you'll ever need that person again. You know, one of, one of the officers who actually trained me, one thing he always told me, you have to be respectful. Yes. Anybody you come across, if you have to arrest them, arrest them respectfully. If you have to fight with them, fight with them respectfully. You know, do it on a level that at the end of the day, they understand that you're just doing your job. Because one day, and this has happened to me before, you're going to be out on the street and the people, and you're going to have an altercation with somebody and you are going to need some help because your backup is across town. Yep. Some of the best backup you have is Citizens in that community who you've already dealt with and who know that you're a good person. Yep. Point blank period, man. I we we've seen it, you know. So that's that's definitely something that I think that a lot of times they put on this badge, they put on this uniform, and they become the law. And one thing that I hate, I absolutely hate hearing somebody say, uh, my city or get out of my city or don't come back. You don't own that. <laughs> That's true. We don't. We don't. You don't own that. I hate hearing that. I've heard it before. Don't. I never want to hear it again. You don't own this city. The city belongs to the yeah. United States. That is a very true statement. And you know what, D? I also want to kind of piggyback off of something. And this is going to blow your mind. I done seen a convicted felon that I done arrested probably three times. I got into a problem. That was the first man to come out and say, hey, y'all stop that and grab people and pin them down from it. Yeah. You know, and the problem is white officers, they, they, they take on this notion that everybody's beneath them, including white people, because what people don't talk about is white officers even talk bad against white people. <laughs> they do. <laughs> the, White officers have this sense of entitlement that I am the law and nobody else can be above me. So it's all based off of economics and power, you know, and uh, white officers, they a lot of these guys come from a background of they were picked on in school. They were bullied or some that got education and some that didn't get education. A lot of guys that were disgruntled in their workplace. So now. They come to another city and 
they they cause havoc. Because you have yeah. career police officers that just keep bouncing around to different agencies. Once they get in trouble in yeah. one agency, they go to the next agency. Because the problem is nobody want to be cops anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I actually so, want to ask the two of you, um, you know, you have your reasons for why you joined the um, law, joined law enforcement, but prior to and up until that point, um, what exactly did you all feel about the, the police force or law enforcement in totality? Well, I'll let you go first because um, so for me in high school and stuff, I had bad interactions with the police but I'll also say this, you know, I don't know if Craig knows this or not, but my mom was in law enforcement um, early on. So she kind of gave me some principles and stuff that I think that I always viewed cops in a different light and a sense of, I honestly believed, and she had some, you know, cop friends and they would stop by the house from time to time. And, you know, I, I honestly believe inherently most cops were good. So even in my bad experiences, I always thought of it as, yo, okay, you know, this cop is doing this. This is crazy, you know, but hey, you know, we, I think that um, it's just officer by officer. So overall, you know, I didn't necessarily have a negative view towards law enforcement simply because of my mom's experience. Well, for me, D, my dad was a cop. And, yeah. and my uncle was a cop, and my other uncle was a cop, a reserve. And your auntie. <laughs> and my aunt was a cop. So I come from a cop family, you know, and the sad part about it is my aunt, you know, she passed away. Uh, my aunt always told me that you cannot wear a badge and think that you're untouchable because everybody's untouchable. Everybody's not untouchable. People can still reach yeah. out and touch you. So. I took on the notion of, you know what, let me do what my parents did. Let me do what my aunt did, because apparently they had longevity in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're well respected in the community, because everywhere I would go, they would be like, hey, that's so-and-so's son. Oh, he's a good officer. You know, and that's something that has to be, I guess, programmed, or there has to be sensitivity training or cultural diversity training. That has to go on with a lot of officers because officers, once again, a lot of officers don't live in the city that they work. Yeah. You know, your bigger agencies, they make you live within your city limits. But your smaller municipalities, they don't make you live in that city. So they come, they they destroy stuff or they, they cause issues in the community and then they leave. You know? Yeah. And I was a strong believer in always living where you work. Because that's the only way you'll get to know the community. That's the only way you'll get to know people. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And so then coming into um, law enforcement, I know Officer Blackie mentioned like it wasn't too many um, Black people. It was a, you know, so how did you feel entering as a Black man? How did you also enter as a Black man? Well, one, entering a, uh, a police department that is stuck in times because you got a lot of all, a lot of police departments that are stuck in the past. 
Yeah. So, because it, what what a lot of people don't understand, being a cop is like a tradition almost. It, it it's a it's a tradition because a lot of guys that become cops, their parents were cops or they knew somebody that was a cop, so they carry on either a the good traits or the bad traits of that officer that mentored them. Yeah. Yeah. So coming into the department with DeAndre was like, oh wow, it's a, it's another officer. But even then. I was kind of questionable when I first met DeAndre. And he noticed because we talk about it all the time. It was yeah. like, I didn't know what side he was on. You know what I mean? And <laughs> there was another black officer that was with us. And he was young. He just became a cop. And we got a chance to mentor him. And yeah. he comes from the city as well. So yeah. me and D had a long talk one night you know, after a long 12-hour shift, and we were like, you know what? We have a lot in common. You know, we yeah. want to see our people do better. We we want to be the cops that, you know, people can go to when they have a problem or when they just want advice. Yeah. And once I realized that with DeAndre, I was like, you know what? We got to make our department better. And the time that me and DeAndre were together, our department was A1. We didn't have any shootings in our city. And and that's something I really want to talk on. We didn't have shootings in our city. You know, we didn't have serious, like, stabbings or serious crimes besides, you know, your theft Mm -hmm. and your burglary. But even then, nobody was getting hurt, you know. And when me and DeAndre left, I noticed a decline in the police department. They started hiring more whites. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't out there actively recruiting blacks to become police officers. And yeah. people that are black that were in position at our department is as if their hands were tied because they couldn't do their job that they they needed to do. Because before they had a lot of black officers with them and they were able to speak up and voice their opinions and their concerns and people listen. But then when yeah. we lost that and we, we moved away it went back to business as usual. Now the yeah. city then had, I want to say five major incidents with shootings and killings and rapes. And, 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 and it's, I, I just, sometimes I feel guilty for leaving, you know? Yeah. But it's one of those things that if you have people that genuinely care about the community and put back into the community, you're going to get a positive outcome. Yeah. Um, so one thing I wanted to touch on was being black and working in law enforcement or around a lot of, you know, white, white counterparts. One thing that I noticed, and I know Sir Black had to deal with this a lot, even more than me, but a lot of times, you know, an incident will happen and they'll be like, go talk to your people. I've literally had officers tell you, tell me, Oh, go deal with your people or, you know, um, <laughs> And just what do you mean by that? <laughs> you know, like uh, I'm not I, I wasn't from the community, so I don't know how they're my people, you know, and even so with <laughs> Officer Black being technically from the community, he wasn't friends with these people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> even if he by passing or, you know, that that's all. Everybody wasn't his people. So, you know, I, I felt a lot, uh, very jaded about that. And I know that, you know, when Officer Black touched on us um, not having a lot of crime and stuff, one thing that I'll also tell you is that when we had that shift, 
we had no problems being in the black area. I had trust in my shift because I know that they, they were going to do the right thing. Um, I know that if there were certain officers who I know were scared. Yeah. But the officers that I had with me, we had no problem being in the more urban areas. So, you know, I think that us always, you know, we would fight to um, patrol sector three. We, we, <laughs> we back there, yeah. You know, and I know that if something does go down, man, my officers going, you know, my my well-trained, my officers who know how to deal with these people are right around the corner. So I have no problem getting out of my car. I don't have to worry about, you know, another officer taking the slow route, which I know has happened to me while on shift before, you know, when it's a major incident, officer taking a sh- slow route to get to me. And I, I'm by myself for minutes, outnumbered, you know, outpowered probably out gunpowder if it came down to it, you know? Um, so, you know, I, 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 that, that was definitely one of the experiences that I took away from is when you have a black officers, it would often be just, it, I would feel actually more secure from that aspect. You're actually right. There, there's been times where I've been kind of left out to dry by myself. Uh, <laughs> where there's a big thing going on and all of a sudden I'm like, Hey, can you send another unit? Five minutes pass. And I'm steady sitting here in a domestic situation trying to, you know, keep everybody calm, you know, cause at the end of the day, whether you believe it or not, like I know who needs to go to jail, you know, there's evidence, but then also you have the unknown. And what people don't understand is the unknown just because, whether it's a woman or a male, and they're a victim, they can easily turn out to becoming the aggressor and attack you. And it's been instances like that to where I go there to help somebody who's been a victim, and then they turn around because that their loved one's getting ready to go to jail. They'll start attacking you. And yeah. that's not just in the black community. That's white community, Asian <laughs> community, Arab community. Like, that's everybody. Because who wants yeah. to see their loved one go to jail, number one? Yeah. Because you know, think about it. As, as police yeah. officers, we're always dealing with people at their lowest. We never, and, and it's very seldom that we get calls when people are dealing, you know, at their greatest potential. Yeah. But once again, as a black officer, not only are you having to deal with the community, your black community who already don't like cops, but also you have to deal with the fact that you're being labeled as an Uncle Tom. Yeah. And that hurts. You know, I, that, that really hurts because I'm honestly here. And there are other black officers that won't, that want to say half the things that go on, because there's a lot of people I unfriended on Facebook behind their posts and comments and stuff that they said. You yeah. know, because ever since, and I can't get political, but ever since uh, somebody took office, I noticed a lot of my white counterparts are very bold and they say things and I don't think they think about what they say before they say it, not realizing that I got to work with you. Yeah. You know, like, right. that's how you really feel. Like, this, I, I called DeAndre the other day. I said, man, that, that really hurt me because a young man that we mentored, who, who, who's a white American, and I mean, he's a good Christian, good, wholehearted person. 
it's like he got caught up in the the whole police lives matter and police (laughs) not realizing that when your badge come off and that gun comes off and you gotta just be a normal person hey man you're a normal person that's it but honestly you'll never be a normal person because everywhere you go you could quit the police department tomorrow and commit a crime and they're gonna say that cop from that place (laughs) committed a crime yeah you know but it's it's just very upsetting that you know you you mentor somebody and they they start putting things on facebook or instagram and every time you look up it's like wow i never would have thought you'll be like this you know yeah uh i also wanted to touch on something else and i think this is real uh ptsd it's a very serious thing right now mm. uh mm-hmm. and that's for all cops especially whether you're white black ptsd is real and uh, i guess that's a whole nother segment in itself but the the actual relationship toll that it takes on you being a cop and also the relationship that it takes the toll that it takes on you being a black cop in a relationship you know uh what people don't understand cops are one of the highest divorce categorized people there is yeah, You know, uh, a lot of cops actually go through divorces. A lot of cops have kids and they wind up paying child support. A lot of cops uh, just have a lot of stress. So when you see cops getting louder, you don't know what that person's going through at home. Because that's a whole nother thing in itself. Because now you have cops coming to work that are angry. You have cops coming to work that are sad or disgruntled. It's just an array of emotions that go on. And you have to deal with everybody else's problems. Yeah. And that's just something that I feel that, you know, is not spoke on uh, where cops actually, I don't really see that many evaluations with officers, you know what I mean? Quarterly or yearly to see how they're doing mentally. And yeah. that, that goes for black and white and Asian and Spanish cops, you know, you don't yeah. see that because whether you believe it or not, that's, that's a big part of the problem dealing with a lot of these incidents that are going on. What's going on behind closed doors? Like, what is that cop dealing with before he got to that call where he had to use deadly force or he had to use, you know, force in itself? Yeah. You know, there's a lot that's involved in that. Yeah. All right. Um, so I got a couple of questions. Uh, some people, they want to have some things. I think that you just touched on whenever you mentioned that you think that they should have evaluations. So what changes do you think are necessary for police departments? Well, honestly, it it all starts at the top and it, and it trickles down. Okay. So you have to have a chief, a commissioner, uh, a superintendent or whatever the local sheriff, whatever local municipality, however they rank structure deals with, you, it starts at the top. You have to have somebody that's in charge that understands what's going on in today's world. Okay, because what you yeah. fail to realize is a lot of people now that are in charge, they're in their 60s. Yeah. Or some early 70s, and they're still in charge, and they come up in an era where things were different. You know what I mean? So it starts at the top, and then you got to be able to have some type of... Uh, I guess you could say quarterly evaluation, not yearly because most departments do a yearly evaluation, but you want to do a quarterly evaluation to see 
okay, how many times this quarter did you use the force? Or how many times this quarter did you have a critical incident? How many times did you go see a therapist? Because sometimes cops need to have a debriefing session. And most cops are are prideful and they don't want to say that they have a problem because then if you say you have a problem, chances are you might lose your gun and your badge. Yeah, I think that that's a big one Um, because like you said, as soon as you touch on, oh, I think I have, I think I'm going through some anxiety or, oh, I think I'm going through about a depression. You can easily lose your job from that just from putting that in the atmosphere. Yeah. So mental evaluations, I think by far is the number one thing that us as law enforcement has to take more time and and actually take time with our officers and and, and allow them to to, to speak and not be penalized. You know what I mean? Um, Also, I believe that we need to have real diversity training where a white officer or a Spanish officer or whatever officer working that area rides with the opposite race, right seat, left seat to where yep. if, if I take a white officer with me and, and bring him in the hood, like we're going to say, I'm going to say the hood. I'm not going to, I'm going to keep it real. If we take a white officer and bring him with us in the hood and let him see how we operate, then I feel that maybe there'll be a possibility that that white officer might take something away from that and he might be able to do it whenever he got to work there by himself. Yeah. Because honestly, in a black community, the only people that would understand a black community is the black community. In a, in a Spanish community, I can't go in a Spanish community thinking I know what, what, what's going on in there because I'll be lost. <laughs> yeah. But thank God that I was able to, to see the world and to experience different things. Whereas you have a lot of officers, all they know is Lake Charles, maybe, and maybe Texas, or some never even been to Florida, you know? So I think diversity training is another thing that is very, very, very important. And also, I believe that our court system uh, has to kind of meet with us at least once a quarter because they have a lot of laws that are no longer used or they've been revised. So I don't think, and D, I don't know if you remember, but how many times did we have to take classes on a computer and not go in person and speak with an ADA? Yeah, those classes that we took, I mean, you could literally click through them if you wanted to. We right. did, I didn't learn anything from them. So we have to be able to be oh, in wow. a classroom environment. Now, granted, I'm not talking for big departments because big departments, every department do things differently. But I'm only speaking on the smaller departments, the everyday mom. I call it the everyday mom and pop towns where everybody knows everybody. And there's no real training and and real education, because think about it. As an officer, you only got to qualify once a year. And that's in the state of Louisiana. You have to qualify once a year. Yeah. So you qualify once a year. And that's it. You, you go through your in-service and that's it. Now, your bigger departments, they have quarterly trainings. What I'm asking, basically, if I had to talk to a lawmaker would be, okay, make it mandatory that every quarter that you have to have some kind of classroom environment session to where an ADA comes out or a mental health professional comes out or a person that represents the black community, whether it be a representative, councilman, member, woman, it doesn't matter. Come out and speak with us and let us know 
what they're saying from the community aspect because the only people that hear these things are your chiefs and captains and maybe your majors that get to hear yep. how the community's feeling, but not the local, not the common officer, not the officer walking the beat or patrolling his area. You barely get to hear what's going on in the community unless you're involved in a community. You know what I mean? Yeah. So those are things that are really important. Also, uh, I think a lot of officers are overworked right now uh, because officers are not the highest paid job. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I have to be honest, like at one department, I was making 1325. Yeah. And that you cannot support a family on that. So you have officers working 12 hours plus another eight hours or six hours to, to, to try and make ends meet or work security details. So they're tired all the time. So, yes, they're going to make bad judgment calls. They're going to make bad decisions. And I don't and, and I'm going to just say this. Not every officer, whether white or black and mainly the white officers are bad because I know a lot of white officers that are really good. And actually, I know some white officers that are actually better than some black officers, whether you believe it or not, because yeah. that's a whole nother story in itself, because you have black officers that feel like they made it and they, they get a part of that, that system of I'm, I'm in charge and I'm better than you. So now they, they tag along with the bad white officers and, and they think it's cool and it's not. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely seen that and experienced that. You're familiar with everything that's going on um, in society. And you mentioned previously how, you know, if something was to if something happened that you didn't agree with, you know, you wouldn't necessarily say it on the spot. You would go back and, you know, address it. But a lot of people um, are afraid of, you know, retaliation. And even if they did do that, you know, the community, us, we don't, we don't see that. We don't know that. And so when you mentioned there being a disconnect in communication between the local officer and the community, you know, I agree because, everybody has come up with this general consensus of how all cops are bad. And so my question to you is how, or if it even does affect you or, or, you know, allow you to go about doing your job, how does it affect okay. you if it does anyway? Well, I try not to get involved too much via social media because like every department has policies. Okay. So I don't post stuff about how I feel about this situation because at the end of the day, I'm not, I'm supposed to be non-biased, you know, I'm supposed to be able to just blur out everything and just do my job. Now, when the badge come off and I'm at home and I speak with DeAndre, I'm very, very upset with the way I'm seeing things uh, because honestly, I'm happy that people are speaking up, but I'm disappointed and how we are just labeling one group of professionals as bad. Because nobody blames an air pilot, airplane pilot when he crashes a plane and he just killed 175 people. Hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Because as an airline pilot, you're held to a higher standard. You're flying 30,000 feet in the air. And you got to make sure you land mm -hmm. and you get everybody back right. So, in a sense, as an officer, I'm like, well, man, maybe we should take on that concept a little bit and, and, and think about how many lives we're affecting every day. 
Because if we crash, guess what? That's over with. So do I think them arresting officers is a good thing? Yes. I think they should be held accountable for their actions, especially if it was negligent. You know, Brianna, like the Brianna, the whole Brianna thing, like that, that in itself is negligent. Yeah. Because at what point I don't have a right to defend my home? You know, I I think honestly they need to get away from the no knock warrants, search warrants, because that's dangerous. Yeah. Hey, um, Officer Black, me and you both engaged in some of those things. And when I tell you that those are some of my most fearful moments while in law enforcement, it's because I honestly do believe people have the right to defend their home. Yes, I agree. So if I kick in your door at three o'clock in the morning and it startles you, whether whether you're a bad guy or not, it's, it's human nature to, de- to, 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 to survive. OK, we're, we're survivors. That's what we're going to do. That's our human instinct is to survive. So if somebody kicks in my door and I hear flashbangs going off and con- 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 uh, congression grenades going off, what do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to grab my gun. Now, do I think, honestly, there's got to be other ways to do this? Yes. Uh, do I think that officers need to be held to a higher accountable? Yes. Do I think that citizens need to be held to a higher standard? Yes. Because... It takes two. You know, my daddy always told me, if two people are arguing, you don't know who the fool is. And right now in our modern society, we have two groups of people fighting. We have those that want justice, rightfully so. And then we have cops that are like, hey, not all of us are bad. So you have two entities fighting. But what it boils down to at the end of the day is not about a cop. It ain't about you know, a baton or a gun. It ain't about a, a person's rights. It's all about racism. Period. The end. And it, racism is alive and well. Because under the yeah. previous president, how many, how many times did you see racism come out? In the open with your counterparts, D? <laughs> very rarely. Ra- true racism? True racism. Very rarely. So now... It's okay to be racist. Yeah. As a cop, it's, I guess I guess being a cop, you have a right to a view to say, I don't like this group of people. And guess what? They're nothing but trash because I didn't heard that before. Yeah. Wow. But the same white cops that hate black people are the same ones chasing after the black women. <laughs> and that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother that's a whole nother segment in itself. Man, you're gonna get us in trouble, yeah. man. You're gonna get us in trouble. <laughs> I'm not I'm not gonna speak on that, but all I'm gonna say is that it's a lot of uh problems going on and we need to genuinely have a seat at the table and talk about these issues openly and not be afraid yeah. to speak on it because guess what? That person marching down the road for injustice, they have every right to do that because that's our constitutional right. Yeah. You know, so guess what? If you want to say Black Lives Matter, say it. But then at the same token, and I got to tell my people this, it's like y'all want to say these things, but are y'all going to get out there and vote? Yeah. Y'all want to y'all want to have these riots and everything? I'm cool with it. Do it. At the end of the day, do what you want to do. But are y'all going to vote? And secondly, stop destroying your community. Yep. Like please, because 
all it's doing is painting the notion that, oh, guess what? These black people just want to destroy the community. I told you they ain't nothing. I told you they're animals. So we have to go back to the old landmark like Martin Luther King. Now, I'm not saying get hit in the head now because, no, this younger generation is not down with people getting hit up and beat up. The younger generation, the 21 and younger, they're actually standing up talking about fighting. And I'm like telling these young cats, like, hey, now slow down. <laughs> yeah. That's how you need your yeah, life. You need your life. So my next question for you is how do you do you ever feel conflicted with doing your job and as a black person and also the Black Lives Matter movement? Well, I do feel conflicted because there's sometimes, you know, I'll watch CNN or I'll watch Fox. I even watch Fox because you got to be well rounded. <laughs> you, you can't just watch one thing and not watch the other because that's the only way you'll get the truth. So I, I, I'm conflicted because it's like part of me, I, I would love to get out there and march and throw my hands up and, 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 and talk about all these injustices. But then on the other hand, it's like if I do that, what is going to be the backlash for me? Because yeah. at the end of the day, I have kids. You know, I don't want to, because you can be hated by your own race and be hated by your own career and your profession. And then you're left out by yourself. Yep. And that's what it is to be a black cop. Yeah. You know. Um, so are you ever disappointed with other law enforcement officers? I mean, I, I think that's... All the time. <laughs> all, all the time. All the time. Because yeah. you know what I ask myself? If I was there, would that have happened? Um, yeah. The other day I watched a video from our old department. There was a... Uh, there was a guy that we dealt with many a times. You know, I, I would like to strongly say that synthetic marijuana is worse than crack cocaine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> synthetic marijuana, and I'm going to say it again, is worse than crack cocaine. This gentleman, you know, uh, was smoking. A lot of <laughs> yeah. a lot of our audience is from Miami, and you know, I know that uh, they definitely had some issues with that synthetic marijuana. That's where, uh, isn't that where that guy was eating the other man's yep. face? Is in Miami? Yep. Oh, <laughs> yep. But synthetic marijuana yeah. is worse than crack cocaine. And heroin is worse than crack cocaine. But you don't see people fighting heroin like they did crack cocaine. So Ooh. I'm going to leave it with that. But on the notion of, yes, I'm disappointed with other officers because I feel like some officers look at this as a paycheck <laughs> and not a way of living. Yeah. You know, because yeah. you have a lot of good officers that leave smaller towns for bigger agencies because of pay. Yeah. And then you lose quality of officers in the smaller towns. And then all of a sudden, you have a town that's in chaos. Yeah. You know, and also people taking away, and, and I'm a big Christian, and I have to say this, and I'm sorry for the listeners, but we, we have to get back to our religious base. Whether you're Christian, Hindu, Muslim, uh, Jewish, it doesn't matter. You have to get back to your religious morals because now that there's no more religion in school, whether it be Christianity or Hinduism or Muslim, we're losing those values. And the more we take away those values, the more our society is going to be in uproar. The more we're going to have problems in the streets, the more 
you know, single mother households, like, because we have too many single moms out there, you know, yeah. too many single parents, period. Let, let's not just put it about moms, single parents, period, that are raising young men and women without the help of the other spouse or the, these kids are being raised by social media. Yeah. You know, so we have to get back to the morals. Yeah. Um, one more question. There's two more questions, but uh, I'm go ahead and ask this one. Um, what questions do civilians need to ask when being pulled over or detained? Okay. I'm happy you brought that up. First off, most officers, when they pull you over, they already have probable cause. Okay. I'm going to say, 98% of them. No, 99% of them, because you always have 1% that just do bad things. So 99, <laughs> 99% of officers that pull you over have something called probable cause. Whether you ran a stop sign, a red light, or you failed to use a signal, they're going to pull you over. So when they pull you over, the best thing to do is remain calm, don't make any subtle movements, and let the officer actually control the traffic stop. That may sound crazy, but let the officer do his job. So there's a few things that an officer will ask, uh, and I can only use me, but DeAndre's seen how I operate. Basically, when I pull somebody over, I'm going to say, good afternoon, good morning, good night. Uh, good afternoon, my name is such and such with this police department, and the reason why you're being stopped is you ran a, red, a, a stop sign. Oh, well, you have two responses. Oh, my bad, I didn't see that, or... I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention, officer. After that, do you have license, registration, and insurance? Because if you're in a motor vehicle, you have to have a license, registration, and insurance, depending on what state you're from, because every state is different now. Uh, yeah. In the state of Louisiana, you're required to provide these documents, a license, registration that your vehicle has been registered under the state of Louisiana, and proof of insurance that you have liability insurance for that motor vehicle to be on the roadway. Uh once I ask for those items, depending on and every officer is different because me, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna run a license because I want to make sure that your license not suspended. I want to make sure that you're you know in good you know you're in good standing with the state when driving, okay? Because I would hate for you to have a suspended license and then I let you go and then down the road you hit somebody and they die. So. You know, there's liabilities right. in that. So, yes, we're going to check your license to make sure you're in good standing. We're going to check your registration to make sure your license plate's not expired. We're going to check your insurance to make sure that your insurance is valid and not expired. And once those things are done, it's up to the officer, and it's called officer discretion. It's up to the officer whether he's going to give you a warning or write you a citation. Okay? So, yeah. if the officer feels that, hey, it was a genuine you know, okay, I wasn't paying attention, then guess what? He might give you a warning. But if that intersection or that area is known for high crashes, that officer might be more prone to write you a citation. Yeah. So, yes, always be courteous. Let the officer say what he has to say. He's going to ask you questions. Just answer the questions. Now, a lot of people do have a right to, to, to not speak because of the Fifth Amendment. But you understand that driving in the state of Louisiana is a privilege, okay? So, yeah, you don't have to answer the questions, but then that starts a whole nother butterfly effect because now you're forcing the officer to identify you. And if you didn't give the information, now he's got to, you know, it's, it's so many different laws that 
cover those things, you know? Yeah. So, yes, just just listen to the officer. And if you feel that something's wrong after the traffic stop, you have a right to make a grievance. I used to tell people all the time, if you felt that I was disrespectful or you felt that I did something wrong, you have a right to make a grievance. DeAndre, how many times I would tell people that all the time? You go to the police department and write a grievance and let them know that you felt that this officer was disrespectful or he had an attitude. Because you'll never know if you don't report it. Yeah. So how can you fix something if you don't report it? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty much how you deal with that. Yeah. All right. The last question I got was um, this young lady asked, are you single? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, once again, all right. Uh, uh, I got 60 seconds for this one. Now, wherever you are, wherever you are, understand. Being Dating a cop and marrying a cop is a very difficult thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been divorced. Mm. I have three children. And yes, I'm single. But I don't believe in relationships right now because every cop is different. I'm actually... Uh, focused on trying to better myself. And <laughs> I think the best thing you can do is to actually go to church and find you a nice young man because sister, <laughs> right now I, I can't I can't be that young man for you. Oh man, not go to church and find you. <laughs> nah, but it's all in love. But honestly, uh, yes, you know, that's a whole nother segment. The uh, dating a cop is. <laughs> cool Lord, that's, 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 that's something serious. Yeah, I get it, Late man. I get it. And early mornings, and you're barely seeing your worrying work and stress, and then adding kids. I'm I'm not saying cops can't juggle that, but it's 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 a lot, and it takes a strong woman or a man to to put up to put up with you know that job because that career is a very hectic career that career along with the military and along with doctors and nurses have one of the highest suicide rates um and that's something else i would really like to say that anybody that's dealing with suicide thoughts and stuff like that please reach out to somebody it doesn't matter if you're a cop or not just reach out because you know what your life is valued you are valued you are loved yeah Agreed. So, well, well, all right, Officer Black. I really appreciate you coming by um, and talking to the people, man. Again, thank yes. you, thank you for stopping by. It's all good, and thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. And like anytime, look, I would love to be back on your show. Uh, and I'm happy that y'all are doing this to bring awareness to what's going on in our modern day world. And I just pray that y'all keep up the good work and y'all stay in the fight. All right, Lachelle, anything else you'd like to get off uh, before we end this? Um, no, just want to point out that he made a lot of good points, you know. Hopefully for you all that were who tuned into this episode, who heard what he had to say, um, hopefully it answered uh, some of the questions that maybe you all have had and didn't or haven't gotten an opportunity to um, ask. And hopefully it shed some light so that you know we can bring some understanding to the community because like he said there isn't a clear path of communication and you know the same way that we feel um, about them they might feel about us so we have to kind of find some way to meet in the middle and so I'm definitely glad that he shared light on that gotcha 
Well, well, my people, you know, I just wanted to, I, I appreciate him coming by and, you know, I just wanted to say that us black people, we're in this together, whether you're on the, yes. you know, whether you wear a badge or not, we, we see the fight, you know, we might not often law enforcement, black law enforcement officers might not always be able to be as vocal or, you know, as out there with the fight for justice as you may expect or you may want. And that's for career reasons. But trust, trust me, trust me, trust me. We see it. We hear you. We feel your pain. And last but not least, Brianna, I'm sorry you didn't get your justice today, baby girl. I'm sorry. But we're yes. not going to stop fighting for you. We're not going to stop fighting for you. We are not. And, um, you know, Black Lives Matter. Thank you. 194 days and 194 more. We got you. All right. So again, before signing off, thank you all for listening to last week's podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode. We appreciate it greatly. And we hope that you all continue to support us. We hope that you all like the content that we are bringing to you. And we hope that you all feel free to like, comment, share, but most of all, tune in. New episode dropping next Wednesday, guys. Have a great rest of your day. Bye.